Thanks for joining us at the Business Growth Cafe, where each week we select from a menu of topics for a focused discussion with an industry expert to provide insights that can impact your business's growth with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Thank you for joining me here at the Business Growth Cafe today. I am Angelo Ponzi, your host. I'm going to do something a little bit different today. It is rooted in business, but we're going to take a different direction. I heard my guest speak at a recent event. Not only was I moved by his story, it made me think about the issue of race and racism in the workplace, as well as in my own personal experiences. Now, personally, I wasn't brought up with racism in my household. It was never top of mind for me. I, 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 I think I have an open mind and, and I try to pass that down to my children and not think about what people's color, religion, how much status in life, how much money they had, but really about their character for me. My parents taught me that and I, I thank them to this day and, I, and hopefully I've, I've made my family and my kids and to carry into their kids to help in a small way change the way people view other people. And it's really about how people are treated. So, and, and so many times growing up when I would hear people use racial slurs or make it, it, insinuations about an entire race, and frankly, it made the hairs on my neck stand up and, and my blood curdle, so to speak. Um, but I have to admit, when I was younger, I just didn't say anything, right? I, I didn't want to cause problems. These were kids I hung out with or, or family members that I knew and or friends of families that I knew. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to keep my mouth shut, right? I want to rock the boat. When I was younger, I was a little more on the shy side. And I never wanted to to be that guy that, that frankly pissed off anybody because I wanted to be included. But as I got older, the correlation between my age and my tolerance for bullshit, racial bigotry, got very small and I found myself surprising myself, frankly, that I would start to call others out on it. Whether that it was not, not necessary, something I didn't want to hear, and something, frankly, they had no reason to say, if they couldn't speak without using these type of, of, of racial epithets, and I think that's the right word, then frankly, they shouldn't be talking at all. If you can't have a conversation without swearing or, or using these kinds of, of insinuations, then frankly, you shouldn't be having a conversation. So I, I really found myself just not tolerating the bullshit anymore and speaking up and making comments. And again, if that's who they are, then maybe that's not the kind of people I want to hang out with. So today, as I mentioned, I have a man named Paul Mitchell. Who, who I heard speak just recently and, and who has been telling a story of a life in black and white, how to authentically discuss race and business. Now I want you to stay tuned and we'll be right back after this message. This is an important conversation. I really think you're going to benefit from it. And not only you personally, that you can take this message forward into your businesses, into your communities to help change the way we look at people and at life. Your strategic plans are essential to managing your business's growth. Spend the time to develop a cohesive roadmap to follow to ensure your entire team is moving in the right direction. These plans should take the insights and the brand strategy work you've already completed to help you achieve your long-term business and growth objectives, as well as keep you competitive. These are actionable plans and should include the details of achieving your growth, including tactical implementations, timelines, budgets, and KPIs for success. Developing your plan is a team sport. Make sure you include the stakeholders from each of your strategic departments in your organization because everybody in the company is impacted by the success or failure of your plans. The following are six key questions to ask yourself. Do you have a clear understanding about what you're trying to achieve? Number two, what does your brand stand for in the eyes of your customers? Three, why do your customers buy from you? Four, what are your competitors doing? And five, what is your approach to sales? Where are your opportunities for revenue coming from? And number six, how can you differentiate yourself from your competition? Visit theponzigroup.com to learn more. As I mentioned, I'm joined by Paul Mitchell, and we'll be discussing his life and experiences. He has framed it in A Life in Black and White, How to Authentically Discuss Race and Business. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you, Angelo. I appreciate you having me. I'm excited to be here. 
Yeah, thank you. Um, uh, this is going to be really good, as I, I mentioned in my my opener. Uh, I heard you speak uh, last week, and I was very moved by your presentation and uh, felt empowered to stand up and and give you a voice uh, and through my channel here. And so I, I, it's a it's a timely and it's it always been a timely topic. And so uh, I, I love the way you delivered it and you positioned it. And so. You know, this is a business show, and when I kind of deviate from business, really business stuff, sometimes I get calls and say, you know, that wasn't a business show. But there's always a business angle. We're gonna we're gonna talk about the business angle to this conversation today. Sure. But before we kind of get going, um, I want you to put who you are in, in, in context for the audience, because it is about that your profession is sales and you're a, a, a fraction fractional you have a sales organization so yep. when we talk a little bit about that put some things in in context and then and then we'll get into the the meat of the discussion sure thank you um yes i am a, a fractional vp of sales so what i do is i go in and help companies um that want to find revenue growth or have stagnant sales teams or want to build out processes, I go on and help those companies do that. And, you know, th this conversation for me kind of was born out of a lot of my relationship in business and the life I've lived in business. So, um, you know, I, I start off these conversations a lot of times by saying, listen, uh, a lot of people want think that salespeople and, and sales professionals go out and try to convince people what to do. And we really don't. We really just want to listen to people. And the good ones that I know want to problem solve. And um, when I when when all of these things have happened, have happened over the years and specifically the, the George Floyd incident, it made me go back to kind of my business roots and saying, how can we solve this problem? How can we figure out a way to do this? And so, um, you know, because of who I am as, as a sales leader, as a business person, and because of the life I lived, it, I just became, felt like I was uniquely qualified to have this conversation. But it comes from a real business perspective. It really comes from um, how, how what happened to me throughout all of this in business changed my life and helped me be able to help others and, 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 offer this perspective that I can offer today. Mm -hmm. Now, we talk about, you kind of had some, in our presentation, in your presentation to, to the group I was in, it was about 30 minutes, 40 minutes, and, and it was kind of a different stories, and we're going to, I want to, I want to get some stories, because I think it, it really helps. Sure. But, but part of that, then, is, is really, is you're talking about your experiences, you know, and that question of always, you know, the authority, I'll say it's not even an expert, right? You're an authority in dealing with life in black and white and, and racism in the business environment. And so I think that's important is kind of contextually talking a little bit more about that right now, because as we're in the beginning of the show, I want people to really understand that perspective from your eyes, right? Not from my eyes, but from your eyes on, on, why that empowered you to really talk about a life in black and white. Yep. Well, and, and I titled it a life in black and white, <clears throat> how to authentically discuss race in the workplace. And, and I titled it that way because when you look at me, you look at a person, you really don't know exactly what race I might be. And, um, and, and because my mom was white, my dad was black and I grew up in a black culture. The first 22 years of my life, I was only around black people. And, and, and that, that defines you, that defines who you are. And, and in many cases, you know, we, when you're in that situation, you're not exposed to the cer certain things in business. And when I got out of, when I moved away and came to California, I was really exposed to a white world. And the interesting part about it is, you know, in my presentation, I share pictures of when I was young and I had this, the longest hair, the biggest Afro possible because even though I was light skinned, I wanted everybody to know I was black. But when I came to California, I shaved my face, I, I cut my hair and I would walk into businesses and look for jobs and talk to people. And they really didn't know what I was. They, most of them thought I was white. So my perspective in business comes from that that slant where I would go into places or talk to people. And most of them thought I was white. And the reality is, is I was I was a black person because that's what I grew up, the culture I grew up in. Even my mom, who was a white person, um, did not want me to be around very many white people because she was ostracized by her family. 
So for me, you know, I looked at I looked at things differently, and and it was challenging just because when I got into business, most of the things that I saw, um, most of the people I was around were white, and and so I all of a sudden kind of got exposed to this whole new culture culture that I was allowed to be in because of the color of my skin that was different than everything that I knew. You know, I learned a lot fast. You know, so I grew up in a small town and and it's going to sound crazy, but I grew up in an era where there was literally one African-American in my entire town, probably two Chinese people or Japanese. It was mostly the Italians, the Irish, the Polish, little smatter, smattering of, of, of Jews. And and so I grew up in, you know, that kind of segregation in the sense I was the below 10th Street. I was a Lakeshore kid in the Italian section of town. I'm I'm actually a uh, little darker. My sisters are, are fairer skinned. And in in kind of the ethnic group that was around were, were Puerto Ricans because they would come up as upstate New York. They come up from Florida or Puerto Rico. And, and so, you know, I, I just grew up differently mm-hmm. that my parents, you know, it was always about that son of a gun Irishman, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So I, to me, I, I just didn't have that. And when I got into college and I started meeting a, a lot of different folks from, from different races. And, and to me, it was like, Hey, they're just people. Mm-hmm. And, and my mom, especially it was always, you got to judge people on their character, not the color of their skin or their religion or, or anything out there. Well, it doesn't really matter if their character is solid that's one thing. If their character is flawed, that's another. And and so that's what I instilled in in my children. And I, I watch them and I look at their friends and, you know, they don't ever think about this kind of stuff. Yeah. But but for someone in business and in this trying to climb that ladder and, and certainly from a perspective of color. And, and again, whether we're talking African-American or talking uh, Hispanic or whatever. I mean, what are the biggest challenges do you think that that? I don't even say young people. I mean, just anybody, because because now we get older, right? And all of a sudden, we we got ageism thrown in there as well. And so, what are some of the challenges that people need to recognize as they're trying to to achieve? And and you know, what are some of those tips that that you have learned throughout your career that you can impart? Yeah, I think the first thing people have to understand, and, and when we're talking about you know, black culture versus white, is that you know. A lot of a lot of the challenges that that black people have felt are, are from years of, of challenges and oppression. There's so many things that went on between, you know, all going back to slavery, racial zoning, redlining, incarceration, um, over policing of areas where black people live. So black people are coming from this perspective of lack of confidence, lack of lack of ability to achieve certain things. Part of the reason I, I left Minneapolis is because. I didn't see very many people of color successful, and I felt like I needed to go somewhere else to be able to achieve the kind of success I wanted to take care of my family. You know, I came from a really challenging family, and 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 like I say, I went to a predominantly predominantly black college. And when I came out to California, all I wanted to see was opportunity, opportunity for people that were of color um, to be able to achieve good things. So, um, and, and I was, I was pretty naive and, and I took it, I, I, I had the advantage of having this, this light skin where I knew a lot of my friends who were darker skin didn't have that same advantage. You see, everybody has problems. I mean, let's, let's not get it confused that everybody doesn't has some kind of problems and things mm-hmm. that they're going on, going through. But for most people, the challenges are caused by the color of their skin. For a black person, that's where the challenges start, whether it, could, it means going on an interview, whether it means your name is a certain way, how people look at you. Um, when you're walking down one side of the street and everybody goes to the other side of the street because they've got this thought of you of being a criminal or a bad person, um, that wears on you. It's exhausting. So as a black person trying to get into business, you're carrying the weight of all of that. And when I tell my story, I talk about a situation when I was became a first uh, manager and I was in the backseat of a car in Texas with some of my superiors. And I had four kids and a wife to take care of. And I felt like I was finally making progress in, in my career after, you know, just some challenging situations that continue to set me back um, for whatever reason. And I'm sitting in the car and the, the guys in the front seat start using the N word. And 
I'm sitting there kind of my stomach is turning and I'm thinking, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? By the third time they said it, I said, I, I knew I had to say something. And I said, hey, you guys are sitting in the car with one of those N-words. And they were mortified. They were embarrassed. And what I found wasn't so much that I uh, called them out on saying that word, but I called them out on some on white solidarity. It's something that all white people deal with. All people that aren't black are able to be a part of. Because in the end, what happens is people are okay saying those kind of things if they think they're in a group of all white people. But, you know, as soon as they found out I was black, they felt I broke from that white solidarity because they thought I was white. They, mm -hmm. they, they knew I was white. That's the only reason they said it. So um, when you have to deal with those kind of things in business, it's challenging. And eventually I got to a point as I kind of climbed the corporate ladder, I, of course, I had to leave that company. I moved on to the another company. And those things kept happening to a point where I finally said, I don't want any more of this. I quit a job without a job, which is, you know, a, a cardinal sin for someone yeah, exactly. really making, making ends meet. And I just couldn't do it anymore. And I looked for a job and I said, I just want to be a salesperson. I don't want to lead. I don't want to be involved in those kind of conversations because every time they escalate, it gets bad. And my stomach is churning. I'm sitting there thinking, when is it going to happen? When is someone going to say something? And, and a lot of it's in my own head. You know, that's what happens is it just kind of it breaks at your confidence and it takes you away from who you really should be. So but eventually when I became the salesperson, I went to a company called Muzak and I worked my way up and kind of just said, I'm just going to sell. And I ended up getting into national sales and doing pretty well. And a man who was our CEO walked up to me. His name was Bill Boyd, a white man, and said, I want to make you the vice president of sales, national sales. And I said, really, me? And what he did for me was he basically looked at me and learned to, learned who I was. He knew I was a black man. He knew I was married to a black woman, woman with four black children. He knew I had grown up in a black culture. And he, he, for lack of a better word, he accommodated me. He taught me the things he knew I just didn't know because of the way I grew up. You know, and of course, I, I didn't grow up with a lot. I grew up in poverty. I even had family members who were in prison. Four of my family members passed away because of lifestyle issues. He acknowledged all of that. But he, he, he took the time to get in relationship with me. And in doing that, he taught me how to do things like go to business things how to be a vice president of sales, how to treat other people, how to be in relationship with people. Mm -hmm. And this was the man who had the opportunity to, to teach a young black man what it meant to be in a business world. And you just said something, it's, it's how to treat people. And I think that's part of it. And I, I mentioned when we first met is it, it, it is about how you deal with people. And, and, and I mentioned earlier that, you know, I wasn't brought up that way. I passed that on to my kids. I'm sure they'll pass that on to their kids. And it starts at the home. And I and I look at folks that, frankly, I've known a, a long time. I mean, I, hopefully they're not listening. I have friends. I won't mention their names. But I have friends for 30 years. And sometimes they go off. And I literally look at them. And I just call, you know, I, you got to stop this. I, yeah. I don't I don't want to hear that. It's not necessary for you to talk that way. And, and I, I try to explain why. And, and honestly, part of it started back because that's what their father did or, you know, that's the way they talk. So it gets passed down. And, and I do think this new generation, if it, and again, I can't say it's across the country, but certainly in, in some of the areas, not that I'm dishing most of the country here, but as, as they change and they start to get older, I'm, I'm hoping that this will start to perpetuate a change, but it really does. And, and business, I, I, I believe it's, it starts at the top. I mean, it's, it's part of the culture. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree with that? Oh, I mean, you, you are 100 percent right, Angela. And that, that's been my mission in a life in black and white. I want to talk to white leaders, white men who are in power, um, because I think what my mentor did, what Bill Boyd did for me is scalable. Because what happened with me is after I understood what he taught me, I went back to my home. I went back to my community and did things with that. And I think once you teach that and it starts to your point at the top that you can start affecting so many different people's lives. See, the thing is, is me as a black, black young man experienced trauma. I had the police break into my house. I had the police stopping us when we were walking down the street. We lived in a, a neighborhood we had to live in because of redlining and, and, and racial zoning. 
All of those things induce this kind of trauma in people where a black person feels afraid and, and, and is scared. So what I ask people to do, business leaders to do, is educate themselves on that. And if they have a heart, they'll show compassion like my mentor did to me. And that compassion will lead to empathy to say, what if I was in that person's shoes? What if my son was in that person's shoes? What if my daughter was in that person's shoes? Those are the kind of things that leaders, the best leaders that I found, will look at and do. Mm -hmm. And they'll take that opportunity to do that within their organization with the people they know have, have, have had this kind of trauma happen, happen to them just by the way they live. You can be a, you know, there, there's a story of a friend of mine, their mother and father are, are, are doctors and, and a lawyer. And, you know, make, he ended up getting a job, was making $250,000 in his 30s. Whenever he would walk up and down the street in Westwood, people would go to the other side of the street. They, he, he always noticed how people didn't want to walk on the same side of the street. It didn't matter how much money he made. It didn't matter what, what status he came from. He was a young black man. That fear, that 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 feeling of of not being wanted or being feared, is in so many young black people. And I'm not saying it's going to magically disappear, but I am saying to business leaders that when they come when they come into your organization, when these young people come in, understand that, acknowledge that, show some empathy towards it, and help them build up their confidence and, and skills. I believe companies can do exactly what my mentor did for me and set up programs that acknowledge that, and it'll be so meaningful. And you said something, Angelo, that's really true, is that, gosh, when you watch the protests, how many young white people were out there? It, 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 it gave me hope. It gave mm -hmm. me inspiration to say, you know, these people are, are looking at things so much differently. They're showing compassion. And they're not, they're not just talking about it. They're showing up to show compassion for people that don't look like them and didn't have the same privilege they had. I, I'll be the first to say, because of this color of my skin, I had a privilege that a lot of my black friends didn't have. And that, that, that's something we all have to acknowledge is what that privilege means to us. And by doing so and acknowledging it, we can now start giving back and showing compassion and empathy. That's you our... I'm sorry. We're we're we're, talk, we're really kind of focusing on with inside of the business, and, and as I mentioned, we're pushing down into our children. But so, how do we push that down from an educational standpoint down into high school and middle school, and and, and start to change it? And again, even talking to to folks of color in a middle school, we still have a lot of things you're talking about with their parents, what their experiences were and, and broadening that out. is like dropping the pebble, right? We had to drop the pebble in the pond and try to get it, the ripples going to try to not only impact the children, but it impact their influencers at home to make sure they're not feeding it. Like I said, people that I know that their kids might be a certain way because their parents are a certain way. So how do we how do we push that out and and not only do it you know in a, in a vertical standpoint within business, but how do we broaden it out into the communities? Well, when I say you can build it in business, most of those parents work somewhere, and if you're working somewhere that 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 encourages that kind of culture, you're going to take it home. I mean, the things that I learned and I know my counterparts learned and we took home and made a difference in our household. And a lot of that can start with what you're doing at business. How much time do people spend in their offices or with, with their work counterparts? And how much of this stuff goes on in work that's allowed and okay because the leaders have allowed it? It starts primarily with everybody getting educated and getting exposed to what, to what this means, what's been going on. So many people in so many places decide they don't want to look at this. There's a book called White Fragility. It's written by a white woman called Robin, named Robin D'Angelo. It's a fascinating book, but in there she starts talking about literally like how can an educated person, how can a business person not know about this? You know, okay, you can say I've never been around that. I've never been around black people. Or I never was educated on it. Well, educate yourself. Mm -hmm. The first step you do, educate yourself. Well, I don't have black people around me. Well, go be around black people. You know, get get out of your comfort comfort zone and get to know people other than the the the, the, the group of people you're with. Those are the kind of things that I think that we as intelligent adults have to start thinking about as business leaders to start doing that. And when we do that, we'll come back to our businesses, hopefully with some empathy towards all of this. And it'll start carrying itself in the way we're, we're talking to our employees and the people we work with. 
And then what what a what a wonderful person who ran a session on 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 racial injustice said to everybody in there after they raised their hand and said, "What can I do?" She said, "Go home, go home with authenticity. Go home and do what you said you did, Angelo. Is that when someone says something, say something about it, and let your kids see you do that. Mm-hmm. Let your family see you do that. Let everybody see what you stand for, and know that the people that are around you are the ones who feel the same way because." I had a great friend, a great friend. I had someone who actually attended one of my webinars and he called me afterwards and said, you know, it changed me. Uh, and my brother-in-law, my brother sent me a text and it was a really racially offensive text. And in the past, I used to laugh it off. But after watching your webinar, my daughter, his younger daughter, taking him to a protest, she, he said, I can't do that anymore. I can't laugh it off. And he said, my relationship with my brother may never be the same. And those are the kind of things that are going to have to start happening for people to actually get it. When I talked to you about my mentor, my mentor um, saw that in me. But one of the first people who called me after the George Floyd incident was his son. And his son was a great friend of mine. And he said, Paul, I didn't realize it was this bad. Now, you think about that. My mentor saw that in me changed my life, but never talked to his son about it. Why was that? Because he didn't want to induce that trauma on his son. Right. You know, he didn't want his son to start feeling like this world was that way towards anybody. He wanted his son, his children to have every advantage. That's what, that's what it is to be a white person. Why are you going to go tell your kids about something that's traumatic when you can, when you'd rather them just see the positive in everything and, and have the best for them? Every, every parent wants that. But as a black parent, we don't have that choice. We have to tell our kids. We have to tell our sons when you not when you get not if you get pulled over, but when. And when you do, here's how you have to behave. When you go for a job, you can't be just as good. You got to be twice as good. Um, if you want to succeed in business and run your own business, you have to be fifty percent better. These are the kind of things we we say to our kids. Imagine imagine you know having to do that. To, to your kids for them just to be able to be successful and they can go one way or the other. I have a daughter who's a doctor. You know, I have a son that ha- hasn't done so well. And it, some of it's, you know, I, I look at me saying to them, you've got to be more, you've got to be better. That's a pressure you put on someone. The world's yeah. challenging enough. So, so when I talk about, when you ask the question, you know, what, what, what everyone can do is just go home and share those kind of stories and tell people that there are people going through that every day out there and we should have empathy towards them. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter the color of their skin. Yeah. And, and, and I, and I see that. And again, unfortunately we're seeing it in the, in these protests, but, I, but to, like you said, it's the diversity that I see that that's encouraging, but it's interesting. I, I, I work for several companies, but, one particular I'm thinking of, actually two now, where we did a lot of training, right? So uh, sexual harassment and blah, blah, blah. But when I heard you speak the first time, I was racking my brains. I could not remember, and I was a executive VP. I could not remember one single training on diversity, uh, treat, how we would treat people uh, of color within the organization. And I... And I, maybe there was, maybe I missed that day. I don't know, but <laughs> it just didn't seem like it was part of the curriculum in a sense, because I, I think it's uh, the, you know, the, the ostrich syndrome. Sometimes people just want to bury their head and not, and not think about things. I, I, you mentioned, um, and I was kind of doing some background on you. You, you have this statement that is, is that is how I wrote it down. It says, uh, you mentioned there was a problem with the statement, I'm colorblind. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I found that interesting. So I, I want you to kind of dive into that a little bit. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of what you talk about, why you might have seen diversity training is nobody wants to talk about race. Nobody ever wants to talk about it's polarizing. And everyone's perspective is what their perspective is. It, I, I remember hearing a black person in a session talking about saying a black man saying, Someone asking him, what if a white person listened to you? 
when you were telling him about your problems? And he says, I don't know what that would look like. Because as soon as I bring up race, everyone gets defensive. And it's a big topic in this book. That's why it's called White Fragility, is it's so hard to talk about, talk to people about race. But when you say you're colorblind, you're basically saying that, listen, everybody's equal. Everybody has the same shot. Everybody's okay. It's okay to acknowledge that I'm black. It's okay to acknowledge that you're white. It's okay because when you think about it, you know, you can say it's the white race, but actually it's the race. Every other race, every other type of people is trying to aspire to be what the right, what white race is, what you see on TV, who the leaders of this organi- com- country are, who the leaders of organizations are. I mean, when you think about it, that's what pretty much runs the world and, and dictates a lot of what we think. So everybody's trying to live up to that. But the assumption that everybody it's okay to be colorblind means you're not even looking at the things that I have to go through every day. Mm-hmm. You're not even acknowledging that. You're not even looking at the empathy that that, that you should have towards all of the oppression um, that people feel. It's, it's interesting. I had a great friend who, wonderful woman that I worked with for years, and her son did a video um, after the George Floyd killing and basically had a gun and was saying all these na- really evil words about black people. And he's 14 years old. And of course he got his mom didn't raise him that way. And, you know, but he grew up in, he's grown up in primarily white area. He's not been exposed to many black people. And it was cool. Him and his peers were doing all of that. And his mom asked me to talk to him. And I did. And I shared, you know, the, 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 the challenges that, you know, the things that he brings up when he says the N word or when he does those kind of things and how as a young white man, he has more power than I do as an adult, you know, even even at the age of 14, mm-hmm. he has the power to make the changes. And, and I and I shared with him, I, I live in a house and it's in Playa del Rey. And I said, I want you to know that during my lifetime, it's it's a probability that I couldn't have bought this house when I first moved out here back in the 80s. It's it's, it's a high, highly probable that I wouldn't have been able to buy this house because they wouldn't have allowed me to because of the color of my skin. And, and on top of that, when in living anywhere, in living anywhere like that, if you look, you can go to deeds on homes across the city of Los Angeles, and some of them will say, do not sell to a black person. This, really? is, this is in our lifetime. This is stuff that's happening in our lifetime. So when you think of that, you, you can't live in certain places. Um, after World War II, our, our, our soldiers came back after fighting side by side with white men. White men were able to get FHA loans and VA loans, but black people weren't. So that, that white person who bought a home in Manhattan Beach and for, you know, $100,000 or $200,000 and it's worth $5 million now, their family has this great start of inherited wealth that black families didn't have a chance to have because they had to go live in a certain area and had to rent and, and basically had a, didn't have a place to live. So my point in saying that, Angelo, is that, listen, by saying you're colorblind says, I'm not acknowledging any of that. Everybody's, everybody still has that same chance. Everybody has inherited wealth. Everybody has all of that. That's just not true. So let's acknowledge that and let's move forward. Like those young people out in the protests, Let's move mm-hmm. forward saying, okay, let's acknowledge what's going on, have some empathy, and start making things right. Well, you know, and it's a, I, I love the, the flip on this, right? If somebody might, and I've heard this, right? I'm colorblind. It, it doesn't matter to me. But the way you're explaining it, I mean, it, for my listeners here, I mean, if you really think about that, it, to me, it's I'm colorblind as I just put blinders on. I don't want to see anything else. Right. Okay. And, and really, in the emphasis is by saying you're colorblind, you're ignoring all of the facts and, and, and the challenges and everything else that goes on in, in, in other people's lives. I mean, whether it's black, brown, yellow, whatever it happens to be. Right. It, it's it. And, and so I, I like the way you frame that. I had a guy on my show last week um, and. His premise was in business to make companies more productive, more embracing of their employees was the word love. 
And, you know, it, and when he, when he told me about it, when I was talking to him, I was like, oh man, this is going to be a really touchy feely kind of thing. I, I, you know, I'm not sure I want to do that, but really he broke it down. His love is about compassion and empathy and support and caring and affection and generosity and gratitude. Yep. And those can have a significant impact. And if you're embracing and empowering people in your organization, right. As a salesman, you know, mm-hmm. your business isn't going to grow if you don't have sales. That's right. But it's not going to grow if you don't have people. And you don't have people that thrive and, and love coming to work and want to do on your behalf to, to make people profit and money. But they're, but it isn't always about the money. It's about feeling good about where you are and, and enjoying that. And, and so I really found his premise really interesting to break it down and, and put it in a context of a single word, love. Yeah. And so, so my question to you then is, I mean, does that – too touchy feely or is that really kind of start to shape stuff he's right he's a hundred percent right the poet Rumi says your heart knows the way run in that direction so we ask people to do that we ask them to do that in their work and in their life and in everything he's he's a hundred percent right that's where we talk about having compassion if you have a heart you can't look at this and say that it's been okay and that I don't want to do anything about it and you know, even even from a from a metric standpoint, the Boston Consulting Group did a study that said companies that are more diverse are more innovative, and companies that are more innovative generate more revenue. And and that diversity brings what he's talking about, which is that love, that compassion for one another, that understanding of one another. Because once you're diverse, once you know, and it's just not black and white; it's women, it's 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 all races. Everyone brings something to the table. That's why we're we're in this world called to be together. We're called to be that community. And so when we when we decide we're only going to choose this race to be a part of it, we stagnate ourselves and we miss the message that he's saying, which is to love. Mm-hmm. Love people regardless. And, and it absolutely has a place in business. I know until I felt that love from my mentor, I didn't I felt like it was just business. Once I received that love, I was able to not only receive it gladly with gratitude, but share it with so many other people. I have two two young men that were on my team that invited me to a birthday party. And I was like, your birthday party? Well, it was their Alcoholics Anonymous birthday party. Now, these were men that were on my team as a salesperson. And most people don't like to talk about that in business. But we became in such relationship that they wanted me to celebrate that with them. And you know what? Um, those were two white men. It didn't matter what color they were. They became my friends and they're my friends to this day. And they're both vice presidents of sales and organizations. And they, and they literally started from scratch in our organization and we built relationships with people. That's the outcome. They have families, they have lives, they're thriving. And the reality is, it's all based on the love my mentor gave me that I in turn shared with others. So meaningful, and it's what yeah. matters most. Yeah, no, absolutely. What What do you think? Um, and this is a big, big, broad, o- overarching statement. But what do you think the 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 path forward is? I think it starts. So um, Martin Luther King said forty years ago that racism will not end until white people want it to end. So I think the path forward continues to be those white people who are in power. Understanding that what you just said is the most important thing, us loving each other, us showing compassion and empathy towards each other. That's where that's who I want to speak with. That's what I'm trying to do is speak with that group of people. And I think once that happens, you know, part of my website, A Life in Black and White, is to also marry that with young black people who want to work with companies that are that are understanding and friendly towards that, that want to help mentor them. So I think if, if, if you have a white leader that will set up a, a black network in their organization and work with a company that, that actually set up the Autodesk Black Network. So they want to hear from their black employees, but they also want to create a way forward so more black employees feel comfortable coming to work for them. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what needs to happen where you start saying, I'm going to create incentives. I'm going to create a structure where I'm going to make it friendly for these young people to come in and let them know that they don't always just have to adapt to us. We're going to adapt to them too. Right. But that starts with leadership. A time, you know, when, when a white guy 
is is talking or thinking or whatever. Uh, is there? I, I feel sometimes there's a, a, a extra caution. Right. If you're talking to a, a, a group of, of people of color that you're going to say the wrong thing. Yep. And and so either you don't engage. Right. Because you're afraid to say something wrong and what that kind of blowback might be. But I mean, I, I think it's it's back to the very first things we talk about. It's about people. It's about understanding the challenges that 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 you have and I have and, and our kids have. And understanding that we're all trying to strive and, and do better, better than the generation before. I mean, uh, you know, my my parents were uh, for my first generation uh, uh, born here, Italians. Um, you know, their parents didn't have a pot to piss in. And, you know, uh, I was I was watching the movie uh, Cinderella Man. Did you ever see that movie? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It, it, and, and it's during the Depression and they're frying bologna. And they're talking about how poor they are. And I looked at my wife and I said, holy crap. We used to eat fried bologna all the time. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> <laughs> and and eggs and, and sandwiches. And yeah. and, and, and I, I, and I, I could call my sister and I was like, were, were we really poor? And they said, well, you know, we, we, you know, dad and mom, they, you know, had to scrape by and they lived. And, you know, my, my dad ended up having his own plumbing business. But when they were younger, they didn't, they didn't have much. Oh. And, and it just put it in perspective. And I, again, I go back to the way they taught and, and treated us mm-hmm. and, and really uh, drove us to that. And so I, I never felt like for me personally, again, I, I'm not probably the good person to be talking about this because I never felt. I mean, yeah, I, I've had, you know, you, I've had, you sound like you had wonderful, loving parents. So you don't yeah. feel that when you have, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, you know, when I meet people, it's about and I said it earlier, it's about character. I don't care who you are, your wealth, your car, doesn't matter. If your character is crap, I got a problem. And, and so that's how I, I look at people and judge people as far as I want to be friends with or work with. And, and I know that I'm not maybe the norm, but, but I, hopefully I am as we're, as we're trying to change all this. And again, turn down the news again today and the, the, the shooting in Philadelphia. And it's like, my God, isn't there how unaware are people yeah. of what's going to happen? Yeah. Get a taser on your damn belt, pick it up and use the taser yeah. if you have to. Right. Or just let him go, go arrest him later. You probably know where he lives. You know where all this, I mean, let's not. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's in it's in it and it's as if it's okay. And that's what I think makes everybody so afraid. And you know, what a lot of people don't understand is that every time that happens, everyone thinks of their own son or their own daughter. You know, a black person does. It's like it's like it's happening to them. It's happening to them again. And, you know, when you talk about, you know, saying something to a black person is, you know, there's this wonderful um, video that Emmanuel Ocho did. He's a former NFL football player. And he's done a series of videos called Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. And he talks about, you know, this elephant in a room about rioting. Now, there were 26 million people across the world riot, protesting. Maybe 10% were rioting. And some of them were plant people plants. I, mm-hmm. You know, the George Floyd killing came about four blocks from where I grew up. And so I had family members there. There were people being bussed in to riot. So a lot of this stuff becomes so confusing and hard to discern who's doing what. But the bottom line is there are some people rioting and rioting is never going to be a, a, a way to solve a problem. No. You know, Dr. Martin Luther King, though, said that rioting is the language of the unheard. And in the video, Emmanuel Ocho says, listen, black people stood up back when, you know, during civil rights and said, I'm oppressed. They also stood up when Rodney King thing happened and said, I'm oppressed. They just sat up when George Floyd and said, I'm oppressed. So eventually things eventually burst because you know what? Black people don't feel like they're listened to. They say, this is hurting me. This is what you're doing to me and my community. This is what you're doing to my family. So when, when you start talking about you don't know what to say, there is nothing to say. But you know what you can do? You can listen. You can just listen to what people are saying. Listen, go up to a black person and, and just listen to them. Don't try to give them your perspective. Don't try to tell them they're right or wrong because none of that really matters. But sometimes it's just good to listen to people and especially to a person who's been oppressed, who's been trying to be heard. 
and nobody will listen because that's what all of this comes from. It's like you're not hearing us. It's not okay to kill young black men over and over. I can show you pictures of unarmed black men that are beat up, that were arrested, but white men who literally walked into churches and killed people and, and, and have not a bruise on them. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's just a culture of it's okay to do this to a black person. You know, they're not, they're, they're three fifths of a person. That's what it used to say. It's okay to do this. And those are the kind of things that we have to get past. We have to understand traumatizes a whole race of people and it causes these things to be cyclical. So when, what I try to say to people is, yes, talk to black people, but listen to them. Just listen to what they've been through. And if you, if you put yourself in their shoes, you'll see why so many feel the way we do. Certainly a, a, a lot of, lot of, lot of food for thought here. Um, I, I know we're coming down to an end of this conversation. So I, I have two things left I want to ask. Mm-hmm. So number one, what, for those listeners, those people in business, what are, I don't know if you want to call them tips or guidelines or suggestions, but what are two or three kind of imparting parting thoughts you want to leave to the listeners today? Go up and talk to some of your black employees. Ask them how they feel. Ask them how they feel about these things. And like I say, listen to them. Listen to them. There was a company that put out a statement on Black Lives Matter. And an ex-employee from five years ago sent an email back, published an email that said that was an offensive um, email towards that executive who made that comment. That executive got fired because even though it was five years ago, it showed that black lives didn't matter. So get your house in order. Go and see if you've got racial or gender pay gaps. Go and see if you are treating your black employees the same way you're treating your white employees when it comes to pay, when it comes to jobs, when it comes to opportunities. Um, all of that kind of comes into it comes into play. And that's where I think, you know, all, all of those kind of things we need to go back and do and get, get your house in order and be open to have conversations with people. <clears throat> Ask people, do you want someone to come in and talk to us about this? Do you want, do we need, do we need to be more attentive to this and are people hurting because of this? But just notice, I mean, just notice in your organization, are all the black people having lunch together? Are all the white people having lunch together? Everybody in every race, you know, are they intermingling? Do they feel comfortable? Because during times like this, during economic uncertainty, during racial unrest, during things like COVID, people go to places they're most comfortable with because of fear. And because of that, if that fear is happening in your organization, you're going to you're gonna become disconnected. And as a leader, you've got to acknowledge it and listen to your black employees and see how it's affecting them. Well, and, that's, and that is just a simple tip. Yep. Observational. Just look. Just watch. That's Before right. you even have a conversation or listen, just watch what's happening in your organization. That's right. That's right. Then, then, then the last question is what inspires you? What When you get up every day, what inspires you to, to move forward? Mm-hmm. Um, Angelo, I'm, I'm a man of faith. I get up every morning and I read read the Bible and I pray. And it inspires me each day to go out and love each other. Love, love, love each other the way we are loved by God. And that's what inspires me each and every day. That's what carries me through the day. And then what it does for me is it continues to, to beg me to ask the question is, how can I love? How can I love today? Whether it's through my work, through my social work. I've, I've worked in with homeboy industries. I've fed the homeless. I look for ways for people that are the least of us on the margins to be able to help. And sometimes that's in your very business. You don't even realize it. And it's in your very business. And it has nothing to do with money. It has everything to do with the way people feel. People are hurting. So what inspires me is to be able to get up each day and make a difference in someone's life. Because I think that's what we're all called to do. And I've always done it by going to to work, quite honestly, with young black men on the margins. I've coached football in Compton. I've been to juvenile detention centers. I've always tried to to do that that way. But after the George Floyd incident, it inspired me to say, I have a voice with 
with white people. I've, I've met with leaders at companies like Amazon and, and the Gap and Sunglass Hut in my business career. I've been in boardrooms with nothing but white men. I, I know what it's like to sit in those settings and be the only minority there. But I also know how to talk to them. And I also know that many of them are people of compassion, much more so. And they just don't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. so it inspires me to be able to hopefully send that message to any one of them in any situation to be able to do what we're all called to do, which is love each other and care for each other. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. This has been a, a motivational, inspirational conversation, and, and I, I hope it reaches a lot and touches people. I, you know, I, I, I'm, I have downloads and, and listeners all over the U.S., but I also have reached out into other parts of the world. So I think this is a broader message that, that carries pretty far. So, Paul, tell the, tell the listeners how they can learn more about, about your programs, your website, your, how do they contact you and, and all that good stuff. Yep. Um, I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn, of course, Paul Mitchell. I publish an, an article on this subject on my LinkedIn page every month. So feel free to go there and see, see the articles I've, I've, I've posted the last few months. Um, I also am setting up a, a website. It's um, a, a L W a life in black and white. So it's, www.libw.com and so that'll be up probably in the next week or two so you'll be able to look there download things like case studies or just resources that you can go to to educate yourself there's also a link in there if you want to coach somebody or be a mentor um, to young black men I'm, I'm, I'm connected through my fraternity to a lot of black universities and so um, the goal is to try to incorporate them into the system so that they can meet with companies that are that are friendly to that so um, and then of course you know on my website has my phone number excuse me on my LinkedIn page has my phone number my email address feel free to reach out I've talked to people individually I've talked to groups and uh, and I'm open and welcome to doing all of that because the more we get the word out the more we're in community with each other, the better off we're going to be. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. And and hopefully when we, we publish this uh, podcast, when we go live with it, um, you'll have the opportunity to actually share this on your website as well. And hopefully you'll do that. We'll do. And we'll certainly be out promoting it nice as well. Little link there for podcasts. So this one. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And and again, thank you so much for, for joining me here today. It's been a great conversation. I, I hope you listeners out there will after you've listened to this, we'll share it. We'll reach out with, with Paul and, and think about, I'm going to leave you with that one word is love. Think about how you can be compassionate, empathetic towards others. And remember, we're all striving to do better in life and to propel ourselves and the people around us to do better, to do good, and to be happy and live a full life. Paul, thank you so much. I'd like to leave with one quote. My Angelou said, um, Please. do your best until you know better. And when you know better, do better. So that's all we ask people to do. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Angelo. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's discussion at the Business Growth Cafe with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and visit our website at www.businessgrowthcafe.com. Read Angelo Ponzi's blogs at www.theponzigroup.com.